So we're going to get started for the last one of my sessions for the day. I know they have a lot of other stuff, but um, this has been a lot of hours of <laughs> seminars, actually, but it's good. Um, what do you guys think about, I'm, I'm, I'm going to step out, I'm not on the GYC committee or anything, but I'm going to ask anyway, because um, I suggested this when I, went, I did Southwest Youth Con Conference, I don't, actually, I don't know what the YNC stand for anymore, Southwest Youth for Christ, I guess what I should say. Last, uh, earlier this year, and that was that when it, like I have we have I have six hour slots. I was wondering if I should if it would, be, would it be better if we each did like two and repeated them, and all the speakers did that so you could like see hear everybody speak. Then me do six different ones, and then you gotta like pick and choose and miss pieces of it. If everybody suggests that, maybe they'll do it. Me by myself probably won't work. I don't know. Maybe some people may rather do six straight ones, but I don't know. It just seems like. I mean, it seems like, you know, with, with all the great speakers they have here, you'd want to kind of hear a lot of different people speak, so. Uh, he's thinking of the, that's true. <laughs> well, that's a good point that you get more material on Audioverse. That's actually good. That's a good reason to do it the way they do it, but just a thought, just a thought. All right, so this one is Real Dragon, False Doctrine. Um, and some of this, the video, I'm going to figure out how to embed these videos tonight. And then I'll, tomorrow in my first session, I'll show two of the videos, one on, with T.D. Jakes and one with Oprah Winfrey, as long as I figure it out tonight. But I, I'll figure it out, I'm sure. I know I can pull them up on YouTube. I just don't know how to put them into my PowerPoint. But I've had enough people tell me how now that I should be able to figure it out. Um, so this is the fourth one, Real Dragon Falls Doctrine. So we started this morning with the search for the remnant, and we talked about the identifying marks of the remnant church, but also the purpose of the remnant church in a bigger scale. The dragon in the digital age, so we talked about technology and talked about people like Jay-Z and Beyonce and how this, you know, you have all these people who are really dark forces in the world, and because of technology, the devil doesn't, you don't need a, you don't, you know, there was a time when you didn't need a witch in every village or a voodoo priest in every village. You don't need one in every village anymore. You need one that you elevate and make super famous and the whole world will follow them. Um, we just did secret agents and double agents. And then real dragon, false doctrine is this, is this last one for today. Um, it says, and it came to pass, it's Acts chapter 16. And it came to pass, verse 16, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Let's pray as we go into this, because I think this is um, a good text for us to do for us to build this last session on. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your truth and for your word. And we thank you, Lord, because you are better to us than we are to ourselves. We just ask now, Lord, that you would continue to open our eyes, Lord, and help us to see the fullness of the great controversy. And, Lord, see the victory that we have in Christ. Uh, bless us today, Lord, and continue to bless GYC, we pray. Amen. So we start off with an interesting story in the book of Acts. And it's a story where Paul is preaching um, and as they were going to prayer, a certain damsel, a young lady, possessed with a spirit of divination. And remember what we're saying that Roger Renault says that they give these gifts. The devil will give you a gift that you can use. Um, and I was saying how Michael Jackson says he received his, his hit songs in his sleep, which is probably partly why he was taking propofol and trying to sleep so hard, because he wanted to sleep because he only got his hits in his sleep. His mother was interviewed and said she would get up in the middle of the night. He would get up in the middle of the night and just write out the whole song, beat it. Or write out the whole song, just write it straight out. The Jay-Z goes into the studio, never writes anything down, and can come out with a hit song with complete, you know, verses, chorus, everything. Um, but they, the point is Roger Minow talks about the fact that they were given gifts. And Roger Minow was given that gift where he would sleep and the horses that were going to win the next day would come to him and dream. So every night he'd dream and he'd make a lot of money by doing that. So this young lady is possessed with a spirit of divination. 
Metas, which brought her masses much gain by soothsaying. So somebody was actually making money off of this young girl. Somebody was actually profiting off of this gift, not necessarily the young lady, by the way. So she followed Paul and cried, and, this, and Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke is a physician. He, wrote, he writes very um, detailed. He really gives you a lot of information. So I really like Luke's writing. That's probably why he was chosen, in a sense, to do the book of Acts. Sorry. Um, it says, the same followed Paul and us in Christ, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. What is wrong with what she said? Nothing. There was nothing wrong with what she was saying. Don't miss this. This is a critical point if you're going to understand spiritual um, things when it comes to, like, the great controversy and the war between the enemy and, 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 and between Christ and Satan. She was saying all the right things. And what she was saying would have, had lever would have held leverage in the town because she was, had the spirit of divination. They were used to the fact that whatever she said came to pass or whatever she said was true. So imagine when she's going around the town and she's saying these men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. A lot of the people in the town were probably agreeing with her. So what's the problem? Paul, she did this many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. This is profound information the Bible's giving you right here. The Bible is telling you, one, just because people say the right thing doesn't mean they're not possessed by the devil. First lesson, just because they're saying the right thing doesn't mean they're not possessed by the devil. That's a critical lesson in this story. Number one. Number two, at some point, Paul had to deal with this demon. Because he was this, this, even though the demon was saying the right thing, because it was repetitiously and really in a hollow way saying it, it was actually disrupting Paul's ability to preach and convert people to Jesus Christ. So it, just because you say the right thing and you say it over and over and over and over and over again, doesn't mean it's going to help expand the gospel. Now, one of the ways that that manifests is with some of the modern praise songs. Now, there are praise songs that are wonderful new praise songs. I, I'm not painting everything with a broad stroke, but let me say this. It's something, and I heard somebody say this a long time ago, so I still use it. That a lot of these words, are, a lot of these songs are seven words said 11 times. It's 7-11 songs, right? And <clears throat> in a way, it goes back to this, because even Jesus says when you pray, don't use vain repetition. There's something about making sure that when you say it, you're saying it authentically, and it's not just a knee-jerk reaction. This is why they have prayer beads in Catholicism and in Islam. And if you've ever seen Walter Veith's um, stuff on that, he has an incredible one, Islamic connection, and he talks about the fact that there's a connection somehow between Islam and Catholicism. And the prayer beads is one of the giveaways because they count the beads and pray and basically say the same thing over and over and over and over again. So those are the first two pieces you get from this. The, the, the other thing that you get from it, though, is that this woman, she had a demon, and when Paul had the guts, he had the fortitude, the courage, the strength, when it was time to turn around and deal with the demon. He did not allow her to mess up the preaching of the gospel, even though he knew where it would land him. Now, I had this happen to me before, more than once, preaching. I was at a church in the south, and um, there was a lady to my left on, like, the first pew. That's why I'm always nervous, because I, when I don't know the crowd, and people start doing stuff, <clears throat> because I never know what's going to happen. And this lady began to shout and scream after every word I said, like, Amen! Ah! I mean, just... Over the top. I mean, I'd be like, um, amen, preach it, bro. And it was just distract. I couldn't, I couldn't think. The people couldn't hear me preaching. So finally, I stopped and I said, listen, let God preach. Let God's word be preached. I, I wish I could remember exactly what I said. But I turned, I was like, in essence, I was saying, let the word of God be preached. And I rebuked her in front of the whole church. I, I, I didn't want to. I tried not to. I tried to hint to her not to do it. And she stopped instantly. Boom. Just like this. 
I got a letter from the church, from someone in the church later saying I was a mean preacher because I did that. And I sent this text to them and said, if people are disrupting the service like that, you've got to do something. There are people in there, people took their stand to be baptized that day. If this lady had kept talking like that, that would have never have happened. And I found out later on that this woman had had a, had a serious drug problem and possibly was even had been dealing with issues in demon possession as well. So you will, again, many of us as the remnant are going to be dealing with supernatural stuff, heavy stuff, real stuff. Here Paul just turns and deals with it in the name of Jesus Christ. Come out of her. And it came out. I also think that the woman followed Paul on purpose because this woman wanted deliverance. She wasn't getting anything out of soothsaying for these guys, divining for the men who were making all the money. And she realized her only salvation was to annoy the man of God. Her only hope was to get, and, and because the demon had some control of her, all she could do was speak. But when she opened her mouth, even the demon had to recognize who Paul really was. So she, she was able to get close enough, have him do it, and she got deliverance. Isn't that deep? She actually got deliverance and is no longer mentioned. We are living in a time when people are going to need it and they may not be, you may not be pleasantly approached by them when they are trying to find God, but you still have to find a way to deal with them. Now, I'm, I'm going to finish this, even though that's the bulk of the, the story I want to get to for what we're going to talk about, but I love the rest of the story. It's a good story. So it came out, and when the master saw that the hope of their gain was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. So they grabbed Paul and Silas um, and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep, uh, to keep them safely. So Paul, in doing this thing, dealing with that spirit, is, is, is beaten and thrown in jail. Now the story ends wonderfully because at the end of the story, of course, God sets Paul and Silas free with an earthquake. The jail's all messed up. The jailer, who's supposed to keep them safely, and this is not a nice thing. And in, in this time, the jailer, if he couldn't keep the prisoners, his life had to be exchanged for the prisoners. So he would die instead of the prisoner um, if the prisoners got away. And, of course, God sets them free, and Paul and Silas come back for him. He's about to commit suicide. They come back for him, and he... Long story short, as you know the story, he becomes a Christian, him and his whole family. God will send you into some dark, difficult places because he wants you to be the mouthpiece that saves the jailer in your life. So there are people you're going to come across that you may not like, they may not treat you right, they may not be the friendliest people, but God brings them into your path so that when you and them have come together, you have an opportunity to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the Bible says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, one of the things that the Bible is really saying is, you can't put your own feelings first. I remember when we hired my friend Mark Sutton, and um, he, he put one of, his, one of the testimonies from our you know, six, seven-year relationship now as friends in the book that Loma Linda just published uh, from the, through the School of Medicine. Um, and this was not a pleasant guy to be around. He was miserable. He still was smoking. He, was, he had been raised in Adventist Academy, went to Loma Linda PUC, but he had gone far. Mark tells the story of how he went to Jamaica on a mission trip with Loma Linda and was down there smoking weed with the Rastas in Jamaica. He says he went far. I can tell you this because if he was here with tears in his eyes, he would tell you his testimony. And he wasn't pleasant to get along with, but we stayed with him. And my friend, Don Banks, the one I was telling you, goes to your church. We began to give him Bible studies again there in urgent care because he and his wife, they were recovering from alcoholism and other things. And they started going to Saddleback Church in Orange County. And because he had been raised in an Adventist system, he knew that it wasn't the full truth. But because he was dealing with these other big problems, he really wasn't focusing on Sabbath and things. And so when he started worshiping and, and praying and studying with us, he actually converted back to Adventism. The powerful thing about that the story is that it really even caused some friction in his own home that he became an Adventist again. So, I mean, so it was a major, it was just like Paul. He took a big risk and a big step to become an Adventist again. 
Um, but he was someone who wasn't easy to get along with. Had we just been like, okay, this guy's an annoying, obnoxious doctor, avoid him at all costs until it's our turn to work with him, he would never have received the gospel again. He's the most pleasant guy now. Nicest guy. You can see, he witnesses to the patients, gives them the steps to Christ, tells the patients his testimony. Probably dozens of people have come through urgent care at Loma Linda and have come to know Jesus Christ because one guy came back to the truth. God will send you into difficult situations. He'll have you meet difficult people. He will do it because if we are soldiers in the army of God, and I like, I like the, 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 the church there, we are willing to go on difficult missions. Paul is a, this is a good example of that with Paul, where he's willing to go into jail happily and sing hymns while he's in jail even and get the earthquake to happen and actually be delivered. It's powerful, powerful stuff that happens for the jailer. Now, I put that there because there's a lot going on with soothsaying damsels. And one of them, and I, there's a lot of things I was going to put, late, Lady Gaga and a whole bunch of people, but I don't think we'll have time. And, and she's so frightening. Um, she really is frightening. I haven't seen her much, but the little I've seen of her, she's frightening. Um, so I want to focus on Oprah Winfrey, and, I, and tomorrow morning I'll have to get the clip of this so you can actually see some of the stuff that she says. Um, but Oprah Winfrey is singularly the, probably the most influential woman in the United States of America. In many ways, probably one of the most influential people, period. She has a large following on her TV show and has a very keen understanding of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Don't miss this. Whitley Phipps, who is one of the premier singers, preachers in the Adventist church. I, I happen to, anytime he has a concert and I can go, I go just because he like, he'd probably age much slower after you listen to him for an hour. Um, wonderful voice and lifts up the Lord. Pastors in, in Florida, one of my friends is his associate. And Whitley Phipps, she considers her spiritual, her personal pastor is kind of, I think, how she says it. Whitley Phipps is the one who said to her, he met her in, in, uh, when she was still in Baltimore, D.C. area, when he was the pastor of the Capitol Hill Church, downtown D.C., and he went to a function and he spoke, and she was sitting at the table, and he went back and sat at the table, and she was in tears, and she was um, shook up, and he said, and, and she was saying, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with my life, I don't know what I'm doing, and he said to her, before this is all over, you are going to stand and speak to millions and millions of people. She was just an anchor woman or a reporter at a local TV station with a small program. And, of course, it all happened. So she always goes back to Wentley Phipps as like a spiritual rock because he was the one who said, no, God is going to set you up. You're going to go in front of people. Um, and so she listens to Wentley Phipps. So she knows Adventist doctrine. In fact, Wentley Phipps told me when I was at his house in Florida a few years back that when she made the movie Beloved, and I don't know how many of you know about this movie Beloved. I've never, I've seen clips of it, but Beloved is another, is a very spooky movie about dead slaves and they're coming back to life and little kids dead running around. Not good. But so when Wentley, she called Wentley Phipps crying and said, look, they're going to, they're going to give somebody else the lead role and I want this role and it's my movie. I'm paying for it. Wentley, uh, Oprah Winfrey and Disney paid $80 million to make the film, some ridiculous number like that. And he said, okay, let me read the script, and I'll get back to you. I'll tell you if this is something that you should do. So she reads, he really reads the script and calls her back and says, I'm a Christian pastor. I, you can't do this script. You need to go and change it, make it so that this person isn't dead when they're running around, figure out something, but I can't even have you, I can't even encourage you to support a film like this. She gets mad, and she doesn't speak to him for seven years after that. But, she, but he stood his ground and was principled. Seven years later, she, um, she, uh, one of the producers sees, sees he has the U.S. Dream Academy that he does, where he actually does education for the children of incarcerated adults. Very, very good ministry that, that he does. And he gets money from all the big people in the Senate and all over the place. So he has, he's able to run these sites all over the country. Um, but... He gets on the show because they want to, the producer wants him to talk about what he's doing. And he says, you know, I'm Oprah, Winfrey and, uh, Oprah Winfrey and I were friends. I, I don't know that she would still want to be my friend. So the producer says, don't worry about it. Let me talk to her. Sure enough, he gets invited on the show. He doesn't know if he's going to get on the show. And she yells at him, mad at him because he told her not to make the movie. He goes there and he says he doesn't see her before in the green room or anything. When he walks out on stage, she walks up, she hugs him and whispers in his ear, you were right, I should never have made that movie. So Oprah Winfrey... 
also raised a Baptist, pretty strict Baptist from her own talk, knows Bible, she knows truth, she's been exposed to truth, I should say, and intimately, even with an Adventist pastor in a, in a, in a, in a, in a personal friend type of way, actually does know even greater truth. Yet, with all of her influence, this is where she winds up. Now, I have this picture up here just as an example of her power and influence. I personally don't believe Barack Obama would be the president of the United States today if she didn't do this. If she didn't stump for him and support him, I honestly do not believe he would be the president today. That is a lot of power. Um, and of course, she's a billionaire probably, I don't know how many, maybe she's a billionaire more than one time over. I don't know. She's a billionaire. But here, I guess if you have a billion dollars, you don't, what does it matter if you have two billion? Um, one billion is probably enough money. <laughs> um, but this guy is Eckhart Toll. I think his last name is pronounced Toll. Um, German guy. Um, and he wrote this book, The New Earth. You can't barely see it there. <clears throat> and Oprah Winfrey has signed up with him and has created an online church. The first day they had church, 300,000 people were on. It's gone all the way up to 2 million members in this church. It is anti-Christian completely. This says that, um, and if I can show the video, they'll give you all the details, but the, the church literally, it, it says things like, Jesus was on the cross, it's just a symbol, there's no meaning to it, and the only significance is that we can overcome crosses. Um, talks about the fact that there really is no, no God way out there, that we are all God. He, he says he's, his mind is holy and he shares his mind with God. You know, it's a whole bunch of this new age, self-help, you know, kind of weird stuff. I don't know how to explain it, but here, and she does it. The real serious thing is that there's clips, in a, if I can figure out how to do this clip, where she literally says that she, why she gave up on God and why she no longer believes in it. The problem is she really duped a lot of people because all along Oprah Winfrey continued to, to act as if she was a Christian, inviting gospel artists on her show to sing. She still does that. Donnie McClurkin, BBCC Winans. She brings people on and sings even when she was driving cross-country with um, Gail, whatever her name is. Um, they stopped and went to church on Sunday. So it's like, okay, she, she blasts Christ, she blasts God, and then goes to church. And then starts an anti-Christian church. This, their website has all these people, thousands and thousands of people now, who have put their testimonials on the website saying how they've given up Christianity and left the church because they've been liberated by this man's teaching. Look at the Bible says. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away, as we read earlier. Verse 6 says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. All that information, all of the stuff, all of the favorite things, all the stuff Oprah Winfrey does, and yet the truth evades her. And because it invades her, she goes in to people's houses, just like it says, and lead women captive. And predominantly her audience is a female audience, and it leads these women captive to the point where she has shows on there where she has Ellen DeGeneres is, I don't know if you could call her a wife, because technically two women can't be two wives, technically, which is one of the reasons why I don't know how they're going to do Prop 8, because I'm like, if they, one of the reasons I'll tell people in California, even if you're not a Christian, you're gonna have, if you're a heterosexual, you're going to have to explain, my, you know, I'm married to a woman. You, you, it's no longer being married isn't going to default mean you have a wife or a husband and you're the opposite sex. So you have to be explaining that either, you, you know what I mean, it just gets a little confusing. But she promotes all of that stuff and has Ellen DeGeneres' wife on with her and how she fell in love with her and promotes homosexuality. Again, remembering what Roger Murnau says, you can't get this much power and not pay dues. You have to, there's a, a certain amount of allegiance, a certain amount of, 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 of homage, a certain amount of sacrifice, something you have to give up if the enemy is going to give you this kind of power. By default. And here's a woman who's been influenced and, 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 and even spoken to in truth by, some, by Whitley Phipps, 
Yet, it falls on dead ears because at the end of the day, just like those Christian ministers we were just talking about, there's too much money involved. Too much fame involved. She's now going to quit her show, I think, this year or next year and start her own television station. That's power. But we have to be careful because this stuff is what we're battling against. And here's the secret. This isn't what you're battling against just when you go outside the church to witness. This stuff is inside the church. And the reason you get some of the flack and, and some of the, uh, you know, the, 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 the pushback you get when you try and bring truth into the church is because the people are under the mesmerizing, remember what I talked this morning, the mesmerizing influence of these people. They're under the influence of this. And so they've been dealing with demonology all week and don't know it. You come to church, how do you spiritually respond to Christ now? Because you can't serve two masters. You can't sit through and listen to this stuff and agree with it all week and then come to church and just quickly switch over and agree with Christ. And, it's, and it really damages the church in a lot of ways and in a fundamental way. So I'm going to get the clip and find a clip of him too tomorrow. Here's a little six minutes against the Sabbath. Uh, but T.D. Jakes came out and did a whole sermon series saying to, to, to basically defeat the seven-day Sabbath and Seventh-day Adventists for keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath. Um, and T.D. Jakes is, I mean, if Rick Warren is the, is the, is the is, and Joel Osteen are the two biggest white evangelical preachers, he's the, black, the one that black Americans go to. And, I mean, he has this thing every year, Women Thou Art Loose uh, Conference. And it's funny, I always tease, I say, you know, and every year they got to go back and get loosed all over again <laughs> for the small fee of $50 to get in or whatever he charges. And he has the mega fest which we call a mega mess, um, where he has people like Patti LaBelle on stage with Yolanda. I mean, he's mixing secular artists with Christian artists and just blurs the line of what's Christian and what's not because he's a bishop. They call him bishop. So if the bishop will send Steve Harvey and all these secular people on stage to promote and, and do things during a spiritual thing, it's not as if he christens what they do. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people get into that. But I also talked earlier about the Dies Domini, a letter written by John Paul II. There is a huge battle over the Sabbath. And a lot of times we don't even get. And I can tell you that as you deal more with terrorism and you deal more with all of the challenges that are facing the United States, there are a lot of people who are saying the only answer is we become more of a theocracy. More blended the line between the church and the state. And I can tell you, it's not an accident that this, these, these terror attacks are coming from a religious denomination that people are calling fanatics and fundamentalists. Because one day, your Muslim will become your Adventist. You get my point? I mean, it, it, easily you can set Adventists up to be the ones to do something. To, um, what's his name? Uh, David uh, Koresh is a good example of that. And people start saying, well, yo, hey, you know, it's the Adventists that did that. And I can tell you that the reason that the, the, the war on terror is so dangerous because it is so tied to a war on a specific religion. And the more they change the laws to be able to go after Muslim fundamentalist terrorists, the more they're changing the laws so that the day they need to come after us, it'll be easy. And that is what is at work with a lot of what's going on. I mean, on the one end, they're, they're blasting the Sabbath. When George Bush was elected the first term, um, uh, ten years ago now, one of the things that happened was that, um, or eight years, eight and a half years ago now, one of the things that happened was the Christian coalition came out and said, look, now is the time to push for Sunday legislation. We've got the guy in power now that can do it. And that was in a time when the country was in a great position. There was no 9-11 yet. We had a surplus of money in, in the coffers of the United States. Imagine now at the next election if you get another fundamental right-wing person elected and the country's in shambles and somebody says we've got to return to God to get America back on track. How do you argue against that? And that's exactly what's happening. And all of these things are just people chipping away at the truth so that when it happens, it sweeps in quickly. Spirit of Prophecy, Ellen White says that the last events will be rapid ones. And you can see it because things, the Patriot Act has changed America fundamentally and rapidly. They have a right to look at, if you send more than $5,000 by wire, they can go in and look at you, look at all your information as to where you're sending it, why you're sending it. Unheard of. 
previously in the United States. If your name gets on a list and there's no rhyme or reason to the list, obviously because one guy just flew all the way from Africa with, with explosives on him. He was supposed to be on the list. But if your name gets on the list, now they can go in and look at your computer. They can search your house. They can digitally do all of these things. And in America, you're supposed to have probable cause and uh, you know, warrants to be going to people's personal property. But again, the digital age allows us, so they're going to be able to go in and look at us without us even knowing. They can place, right now, if you go to a government website, when you go to a government website, it automatically put cookies on your computer and will follow where you go out thereafter. The Patriot Act did all of that, allowed phone taps of innocent Americans who had nothing to do with anything. So you see that the devil is working to really set the stage for this, his last great deception and, of course, his last great assault against um, Bible-believing Christians. So I put this here because we were talking about evolution earlier, and Roger Minow says talked about how... Um, Darwin was chosen when he was a child and personally tutored by the devil to, to bring up the theory of evolution and to teach it. And we know that back at one of our Adventist universities, there's still a big um, controversy over whether or not it's being taught. But I want to make sure I show you this, um, that the pope acknowledges the theory of evolution. We talk about a real dragon and false doctrine. How does a pope back the theory of evolution? I mean... That doesn't even, I mean, even as bad as Rome is supposed to be, that doesn't make sense. But isn't that amazing that the Pope backs the theory of evolution, acknowledges it? Ignoring conflicts with biblical texts, John Paul calls views more than hypothesis. Amazing what Rome will do to sweep everybody under one umbrella. Because I tell you, you don't be surprised when this headline is, Pope accepts homosexual marriage. Don't be surprised when it goes even further along. Because that is what they, Rome will do to get everybody on their side. If you would accept evolution, which is clearly not biblical, and it also says you can't believe in the Bible. Because if you believe in the Bible, you believe in a six little day creation. And once you believe in that, you can't believe it took millions and millions of years for the world to evolve. So when the Catholic Church officially approved evolution, it made the creation story and the Sabbath be put on the defensive. And one of the reasons I believe that this is done, again, is to attack the Sabbath. Because how do you keep the seven, why do you even worry about a seven-day Sabbath if it was millions of years? By default, the six-day and rest theory goes out the window if it wasn't really six days. And that's what the theory, one of the reasons the theory of evolution is so promoted by Satan. He wants to destroy God's Sabbath. But the Bible says in Revelation 12, out of the mouth of the dragon came a flood. And Joel Osteen, I, I told you I'd show you this later on. Um, some of you have seen this before, but I, I, I like this because it really makes the point of how false doctrine and false teaching and these double agents really work. Larry King says to, to Joel Osteen, how about issues that the church has feelings about? Abortion, same-sex marriages. Osteen says, yeah, what, you know what, Larry, I don't go there. I just, you have thoughts, though. Larry King is a pretty sharp guy. Osteen, I have thoughts. I just, you know, I don't think that a same-sex marriage is the way God intended to be. You don't think. Um, I don't think abortion is the best. I think there are other, you know, a better way to live your life. But I'm not going to condemn those people. I tell them all the time, our church is open for everybody. So here he says with his wife on Larry King Live. He says, you don't call them sinners? Osteen, I don't. King says, look at Larry, how sharp Larry King is. Is that a word you don't use? Osteen says, I don't use it. I never thought about it. You never thought about the word sinner? And you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm a sinner. I, I mean, I think about the word when I'm asking for forgiveness. But I probably don't. But most people already know what they're doing wrong. Actually, sometimes they don't really know what they're doing wrong. When I get them to church, I want to tell them that you can change. There can be a difference in your life, so I don't go down that road of condemning. To tell people that what you're doing wrong isn't all by itself condemnation. If you're at a doctor and you, somebody's smoking, you say, you know, smoking's not good for you. That's not condemnation. Telling them they're going to die an early, hard life because they smoke is a little more rough. Maybe that's more of a condemnation, but it's not condemnation all by itself. Larry King says, you believe in the Bible literally? 
Larry King, gets, Larry King knows the Bible well enough to know something's wrong with this guy. <laughs> Do you even believe in the Bible? You don't say the word sinner. Do you even believe in the Bible? Osteen says, I do, I do. King, is, is it hard to lead a Christian life? <clears throat> I don't think it's that hard. To me, it's fun. We have joy and happiness, our family. I don't feel like that at all. I'm not trying to follow a set of rules and stuff. I'm just living my life. Sound like Rihanna and Jay-Z. And he says, but you have rules, don't you? And he says, we do have rules, but the main rule to me is to honor God with your life, to live a life of integrity, not be selfish, you know, help others. But that's really the essence of the Christian faith. The essence of the Christian faith is that God has a standard. The Ten Commandments are like a mirror. It shows us where we fail God. It shows us that we, are, we come short of his glory, that we are not what God would have us to be. The essence of the Christian's faith is that Christ died to make up the gap between those two things. And if you don't recognize yourself as a sinner, and if you don't recognize that God has rules, what do you need Jesus for? You don't need Jesus if you can't be a sinner, or if your sinners don't exist, or if you kind of don't even worry about the rules. I'm just having fun. He probably is having a whole lot of fun, I have to admit, because he has the ex-Astrodome or um, the Houston Superdome, whatever the dome is there that the Houston Rockets used to play in. He spent $90 million and converted it into a church. $90 million to convert an old basketball stadium into a church. He's having a whole lot of fun, probably. But that isn't Christianity. And again, look at how doctrine, basic doctrine like salvation, redemption, sin, the commandments. Look at how all of them are just wiped away in one interview. For a man who has 30,000 people show up for church every Sunday. They have 10 times a GYC every Sunday. You get my point? Because if they have more than one service, it's even worse than that. And yet the man doesn't believe anything. What do you preach? You know, work harder, smile at your people at work, rub your wife's back. I mean, what, what do you preach? I, I'm, you know, I can't imagine what you preach if you don't believe anything. Yet he preaches every week, and people like it. People love it. So here's Paul Crouch. I was going to tell you some of the stuff that he said. I only have one of them, I think. <coughs> Paul Crouch says, do you know what else th that's settled then tonight? This hue and crying controversy that has been spawned by the devil to try to bring dissension within the body of Christ. That we are gods. I am a little god. That's what he says. I have his name. I am one with him. <clears throat> I am in covenant relation. I am a little god. Critics be gone. Real dragon, false doctrine. The war against the remnant. Ellen White warned us in the great controversy that we would have a threefold attack from Catholicism, apostate Protestantism, and spiritualism. The reason a lot of us don't see the spiritualism is because it is a new age spiritualism that didn't exist in the time of Ellen White. The devil took witchcraft, voodoo, obia, all of those secret arts like that, took it, the devil took all of that and put a shine on it, called it the new age movement, and sent it back out. So a lot of people don't pick up that when a preacher says he's God, He's li that is literally witchcraft. What he's, really, what he's really doing is fulfilling the prophecy from the great controversy that says these three things are going to come together. And literally, all of us are witnessing the fulfillment of a prophecy Ellen White gave. And tomorrow I'm going to give you a lot of examples of different prophecies that she's, that she's spoken and they've come to pass in defense of the prophetess because that's another place that the remnants are being attacked. But you can see here that that exact prophecy is exactly being fulfilled. Isn't it? No other way to look at it. This is a Catholic studio set, right? With Catholic belief, with Benny Hinn on the show, promoting Catholicism all the time. It is supposed to be a, prostate show, a Protestant show, but it's an apostate Protestant show, more concerned with how much money they can collect from the social security of innocent old ladies all across the country than they are about the gospel of Jesus Christ, in my opinion. And I'm, I know I'm being harsh on them now. But on top of that, when they speak, they speak spiritualism. That very prophecy that 
an interpretation from out of Revelation is fulfilled in front of our eyes on, on Trinity Broadcasting Network. And that is powerful because when I was a kid and, we, and I went to those 10 efforts every summer in Hartford, Connecticut, I never, ever thought I would live to so clearly see that those three spirits like frogs that come out of the mouth of the uh, false prophet. I never thought I would live to see them come together so clearly. And this is evidence that it's all together, all wrapped up, all one thing. It's done. That prophecy has been fulfilled in this. And that was back in 1986. And that's why now they're doing things like the Lazarus, that's the, the thing I showed you on Lazarus, the Lazarus Project or whatever that thing was called. They're doing all that stuff now because they're moving past the fact that they've come together. They're moving now to the one world religion. They're moving to where they're going to be able to have, and they already do it. They already have Puff Daddy on there on TBN and Mesa, all these rappers on it. They already are bringing bigger, wider sets of people in. And so we are watching the real dragon. All of these false doctrines are being spewed out of his mouth like a flood. And it, because of Trinity Broadcasting Network, Again, in the guise of Christianity, it is the most dangerous place for false uh, doctrine to come out. All right, I think it's, what time do we finish this session? Quarter, uh, quarter till? I think it is quarter till, okay. So be prepared. It says here, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travel upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us do what? Watch and be sober. Watch and be sober. Now, in order to watch, you've got to be awake. You can't sleep and watch at the same time. I've tried. It doesn't work very well. You've got to stay awake. Being awake means that you are actively involved in the work of the gospel. Being awake means that you are studying God's word. You are fighting the good fight of faith. Being sober, you can be awake and not be sober. Just visit the jail. Right? There are plenty of drunks that are wide awake and are completely incoherent of what's going on around them. Being sober means that you are analytical. Your brain is working. Isaiah 1 and verse 18. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. The process of salvation is why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 says to put on the helmet of salvation. Salvation is a thinking, reasoning process. You have got to make a choice to accept Jesus Christ. So what the devil is trying to do with all this false doctrine and all these false teachings, bring up all of these celebrity people that influence people and then sweep the doctrine in through them so that the devil gets worship by being attached to the person and then is able to destroy all of those that follow the person and the person in the process, you've got to be sober to be able to pick up the differences. Sobriety is a, is a neurochemical process. When somebody drinks alcohol or smokes marijuana, it goes into your body and it goes to the frontal cortex of your brain and knocks out the release of a chemical in your brain called GABA. GABA is the chemical in your brain that makes you inhibited, makes you not just say whatever comes to your mind, not slap someone when they upset you. Amen. Um, not tell people off, not give them a piece of your mind, not make you, you know, get road rage. Amen. So GABA works in your mind to keep you controlled, to keep you behaved, I mean, in a sense. When the Bible says that the love of Christ that constraineth us and it speaks about the Holy Spirit, I believe that literally the Holy Spirit is able to massage and work with your brain to change the way you behave by the way the very nerves are routed in your brain. I believe that God literally can do that to give you new pathways in your brain so that you have more of a release of GABA, the stuff that keeps you sober, and one of the things that keeps you sober, so that, you, so that there's actually an interface. I do talks on the, the body as the temple, and I was talking about the frontal lobe as the most holy place, and the Ark of the Covenant that holds the, 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 the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is your conscience, and the Shekinah glory of God is the Holy Spirit that falls on it. So there's a place in your brain, just like the most holy place, where you, knowing what right is, and God giving you the power to do it, are supposed to come together in the same place where your sin is dealt with because you reason with God for salvation, telling him that you're a sinner and you know you've done wrong. 
Sobriety is, is critical. We were talking earlier about the health message and, and being careful that we don't take the health message and make it a testing. Uh, Ellen White says it should not be a, a testing um, doctrine on people. Um, but the reason we, keep, we have a health message and we try and keep it is it helps us to be sober. You think better, straighter, cleaner, wiser. Your brain works better. Your body works better. You make better decisions. And God is empowering us, working with us at all times to make better decisions and do better. But you have to be sober. And being sober means that's why it is alcohol, nicotine, caffeine, marijuana, cocaine, all that stuff is bad. You can be made to not be sober through sex. If you don't do, if you're, if you're sexually active outside of God's plan, one of the ways, one of the things you will lose is your sobriety. They've done PET scans on people who say they're in love. And when they do the PET scans, your, the reasoning parts of your brain are shut down. You're not thinking straight. Never mind if you had like two drinks, then you're really in trouble. But I always warn girls at church, there's a reason the guys want to buy you a drink when you go in the club. So he, they, so he won't look so ugly after you have two drinks. Because you won't, you won't be as inhibited. Love is one of the things that if you're not careful and you think you've fallen in love, it is like poison. It will knock out your sobriety. You don't ever have to touch an alcoholic drink, marijuana. You don't have to touch anything. All by itself, it can make you do things you otherwise would never do, like rebel against your parents, refuse to go to church. Say, I'm not going to this Adventist college. I'm going to the other one because that's where my boyfriend's going or your girlfriend's going. Sobriety goes beyond physical things. It has everything to do with how we live our life in a lot of other ways. And the reason a lot of Christians are not going to be ready is they've allowed themselves to become drunk with the world. With, a, with an individual, with a lifestyle, you get drunk with the world itself. And it's difficult because the world, of all times in history, the world has never had an opportunity to jump on us like it does today. We've never, nobody's ever lived in a world where you can be tempted like you can today. There was no internet in Paul and Peter's day. There was no flat screen TVs with 150, 200, 500 channels, right? There were no IMAX theaters in 3D in those days. I mean, you know what I mean? If you wanted to see an evil show, you had to go physically to some temple, step over the temple prostitutes, and walk all the way inside. Today, you don't have to go anywhere. In the comfort of your own home, the devil can deal you all the magic in his dark kingdom. And this is why a lot of Adventists are no longer sober. When I was growing up, Adventists didn't go to the movies. I wish Veronica was still here. She, we used to have whole arguments at our church about should we go to the movies. Go to the movies. They show movies in church now. For divine service. I went into a church in California. I, and I got to be careful because I can't say the like, church name because then I'll get in trouble. I went and walked into the church and they were showing The Matrix. It doesn't matter which one they were showing. <laughs> He's like, which one? Reloaded? <laughs> and I'm like, you walk in the church, you're trying to escape the world, and here they are showing that and Monty Python was the other one that they were showing. People laugh because they like Monty Python. But you walk in, I'm like, what in the world? I get bombarded with this at all turns in the real world. You expect to come to church and be able to at least have some semblance of sobriety from the world. Even if I'm imbibing all week, at least I should be able to come to church and be free from it. But this is how powerful, the, the, this that's why this text is so powerful. Because literally, if you're not careful, in order to, again, get accolade and draw people in the church, people will do anything and will lose their sobriety, their spiritual sobriety. And all of us have a part to play in that. And so, I mean, some of you live in places where you can't just say, you know what, I'm going to go to Mentone Church because Mentone Church won't do that. Some of you are in cities where the only church is the church and they do whatever they do. But it, I, my challenge to you in my talks is don't always run from it. Somebody's got to stand and deliver. Keep preaching the gospel, have Bible studies, keep teaching end time, present truth. Because if we all retreat, 
Ezra didn't retreat. Ezra went back in and dealt with them. So listen, we need the remnant here. And there are a lot of people, God will, God will, will move when, God's, when his people are willing to stand up like Paul did and face down the demons that have come in. But we all have to be watching, we all have to be sober, and we have to be ready for his coming. God has a purpose for each one of us. And we are, it's not an accident that you're a part of Remnant Church. I heard a young man give his testimony how he became an Adventist. It's not, you're not here by accident. You're here because God needs you. He needs soldiers in his army. If he wanted to, he could send angels from heaven to preach the gospel and finish the work. But instead, he has chosen feeble, sinful, broken men and women like you and me to be the very vessels through which the great controversy ends. What a privilege. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for GYC. We ask, Lord, that your angels will continue to protect this place. That, Lord, your Holy Spirit will continue to fill this place. Father God, let us lift up Jesus Christ, not just in our words, but in, in how we live, even our most secret, private recesses of our life. That, Lord, we would have integrity in being Christians. Lord, help us to become disgusted with the things of this world and to return to Jesus Christ as our Savior. Lord, I also ask, Lord, that for those that are here, Lord, who are, a lot of this truth is new to them, Lord, give them um, the spirit to inquire and to study and to read the, the testimonies you've given to the church and to read the scripture thoroughly and over and over again, Lord, so they would come to know truth for themselves. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.